0: Number 100! Hey guys, it's Lauren Yates from Raven Up here, and welcome to our 100th episode. Can you believe that? That time has flown. I want to thank you to many of my fans who brought this huge milestone to my attention. I honestly think I would have forgotten otherwise. You know, life just gets in the way, you get busy, you lose track of things. But wow! 100. I can tell you I've well and truly done more than 100 interviews in my career, though, since I was in radio for about eight or nine years before this podcast. It would take me a long time to count them all, though, so I'm not going to. Some of them have actually never been released to because of either technical issues or I even do some private interviews for other people. But 100 interviews of a podcast is a huge achievement, right? I didn't think I'd reach it this fast, to be honest. <laughs> so to celebrate this big milestone, I want to go back over the last two years or so with you to count down my top 15, not in any particular order, and share my favorite snippets of these interviews with you. Interviews that have either impacted me, I learned a lot from, or had a lot of fun with. But let's be honest, I have fun in every single one of them. (laughs) It was really fun too, preparing for this 100th episode because it gave me a chance to take a step back and admire all of the hard work I've done. So enjoy looking back with me today. Number 15, Heartland actor, Graham Wardle. He has been on the show three times now, two for an interview and the third for a chat about Christmas. And every single time we have so much fun. He has become such a good friend of mine now. You know,
1: remember remember when phones used to just be on the... (laughs) in your (laughs) house? On the wall. (laughs) On the wall?
0: (laughs) And if you wanted to chat to your friend, it'd be like, you have to talk to their mom and dad and go, can I please talk to Graham?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Are they home? No, they're not home home right now. Yeah. (laughs) They're
0: doing their homework. (laughs) It was really nice to have Graham on for the second time back in March last year, for the fans to say goodbye to his character, Ty Borden on Heartland and hear his side of the story properly.
1: Very difficult for me to to make this decision. And I spent a lot of time just tuning in and asking myself, is this the right step? Is this the next step? And um, I normally, I can normally feel based on, you know, tuning into my heart or my gut and just kind of connecting with myself. Um, I know what's what needs to come next. And mm. I've had a few moments in my life where there have been difficult decisions and I know that's what I need to do, but I don't wanna do it. Like, I don't wanna do it. Like my mind's like, no, like just ignore your heart. Just ignore that, just keep doing this. And you try and create all these excuses and reasons um, why you should doubt yourself. And um, and then the tricky thing too was, you know, a lot of people said, well, you know, why, why are you leaving and why, why, why this? And, um, and I'm like, ultimately it comes down to I have to honor myself and my heart, and I can't ignore that. Mm-hmm. And I've done it in the past, and it's never worked out well. And I don't want to do it again. Um, so then the process was just, um, you know, how to work with the production and the, the creatives on the show to to make that transition as as, as best we could. because. I think everybody knew it was gonna be a really tough transition for the audience and uh, that it would be difficult to watch. So that's why I came back for season 14 and I did some, uh, we called it ghost work, you know, doing playing a ghost of, of the character. And uh, because I, I personally wanted to do everything I could to, to make that transition and to honor the character. Uh, that I had created with, along with everybody else, so that 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 love and that the inspiration and the passion of that character and, and myself, my work to that for that character could be felt, you know, and it wasn't like cold turkey, just like, mm. you know, he's gone. Like some shows, you know, you see some shows like that and the character's just like, eh, and they're gone.
0: As many of you know now, Graham Wardle has gone on to bigger and better things with his own podcast. Time has come, check it out if you haven't already. And he's having so much fun creating it and doing something for himself and doing something to better the world. Another one of my favorite parts of this interview with him was when we were talking about venturing into the world of YouTube creation. I made
1: my first $6 on YouTube from like ads. I was so proud. I was like, I made six bucks. Yeah, (laughs) I made $6 off ads, like, yes. I've never been so proud of my life. It was the weirdest feeling. I think it was because, yeah, like I went out and did it. You know, like I said before, it's just you know it's your your own thing. So yeah, it's your own baby and it's precious and and uh, sometimes I get a little too like OCD with my editing and trying to like smooth out the experience. I gotta relax and just let go and and let people enjoy the <laughs> enjoy the show.
0: Number fourteen, SWAT actor Kenny Johnson. Now, another one of my favorite shows next to Heartland is SWAT. If you haven't watched it yet, please do. Highly recommend it. It is by far the best SWAT or cop show you will ever watch. The amount of precision and accuracy put into the show is astounding. The cast go through so much training to make it realistic for us as an audience, and that is something that just blew my mind while speaking to not only Kenny, but a few other SWAT cast members, and even their technical advisor, Odie, which we'll hear from a little later on too. He is part of this whole top 15, but let's hear from Kenny Johnson today.
2: We had a guy that was SWAT uh, for like, I don't know how many years, like 17, 18, 19 years down in San Diego, and he became our tech advisor, Odie. And he was like a drill sergeant. And we had a guy that was also um, you know military special ops um, you know that taught us at the beginning too so we had two guys grilling us about everything and screaming at it in repetition over and over and over and screaming with anything you hold your gun wrong you you accidentally lift it up or you cross somebody he would get everybody on everything and he just you know wanted it. it's like slow is smooth to him and it's like move in sync like a snake. Hey, and the liquid. more <laughs> yes liquid. <laughs> <laughs> flow like water. I mean, you just, once that happens, it becomes so kind of beautiful to do. But then when you see it on TV, it becomes like, I've seen the real SWAT guys and we're we're lucky because we don't really have people shooting back at us that are (laughs) going to kill us. They do. When you see them a little jumpy and not as smooth, it's because that's the real deal for them. For us, we get to do it and, you know, look good because we have somebody screaming at us all the time. And Mm. I'm telling you, the Odie, Odie, Odie is our, the show. Our tech advisor is it. And he will pull us in and chew us out in the third season because he thinks we're getting sloppy and we're not doing this right. And he will literally make us all, you know, during our lunch hour, during breaks, go through stuff over and over again, because that's his job. So the more he does that, the more we realize we want to make the real SWAT proud and we want to do the best we can. You know?
0: Kenny Johnson has done a lot in his life and career. He's been in shows like Sons of Anarchy, The Shield, Saving Grace, and Bates Motel. But it was his past as a champion arm wrestler that caught my attention. So we finally came up on the Civic Center that had tons of cars packed
2: in this like place. And I thought, oh, we're going to a concert. This is like a awesome, right? And I said, well, you know, who's playing? And he goes, nobody. He goes, I signed you up for the World Championships arm wrestling. <laughs> I said, what? I got arm me- one time in my life against one person he goes yeah but you beat him and i go richie i go one guy in my life i go this is a world championship <laughs> i went through a bunch of rounds and beat people and um and then i had a guy almost you know has been an inch away from beating him about four minutes and i got tired and he eventually took me over so i thought i'm in the loser's bracket now so i must, I must suck so then this guy comes over the australian guy and he, he introduces my, himself and he goes he goes you know i'm the australian champion and you beat me pretty good and i'm like no i said i didn't know he goes you know those two guys that you lost to but you had them you were almost pinned him i go yeah he goes that was the number two guy in the world and number five guy in the world he goes have you ever armed before? i said yeah i'd get emotional but i said no and he goes please let me train you i ended up being second in the world and then you know 15 years after i retired i thought you know what give it one more try See if I'm any good. So I, I did right and left, and I'd never done left before. And I ended up third and third in the world. And the next year, second and third. And then the third year, 2012, I ended up getting first and first. And I didn't feel that, you know, I thought I was gonna feel this like, oh my God, this is like, this is like the best thing ever. But for some reason, I didn't feel anything. I felt like completely empty. And for me, I'm like, as soon as it happened, I got on the podium and I'm like going like. I feel nothing. I go like, this is it. I've been, I've been doing this all these years and, and now I want and I go, I feel nothing. I go, damn, you know, it's like, yeah. So I knew, you know, obviously it wasn't my love. So uh, I want it to be for the guys that love it. You know?
0: Number 13, personal trainer, Commando Steve. We all remember him as the Commando, the trainer on The Biggest Loser, the Commando. Statement, right? It has a lot of effect. It creates this image in your mind. Black glasses, no smile, arms crossed, no excuses. But what was that like for Steve? What was it really like behind the scenes? Was he actually him or a character? I'm sure you always wondered that when watching the show. Was he really that mean?
3: The commando kind of. Encapsulated, you know, especially in people's minds, much like the Stig, yeah. you know, this 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 person. But no one really knew who that person was. They were just kind of good at what they did. And for me, it was kind of sunglasses on, looking probably more menacing than um, than saying yeah. anything. <laughs> to be on television um, on a more regular basis, you couldn't be so one-dimensional. Mm. The sunglasses came off. You know, I got to smile. I got to interact. Although. In the everyday sense, I was always doing that. They just didn't, the way in which they edited and they mm. kind of told the story on television um, was was void of all of that.
0: Not only is Commando Steve a great personal trainer, but he is also an amazing public speaker and even motivational speaker, in my opinion. He was great with life advice on our show anyway. As Steve would say, sometimes you just need to take a leap of faith.
3: You know, the more that you can just go into things with your eyes opened. I remember... a you know, when we were taught to parachute and you go through all the, the land-based drills and then you come to your first jump and you know, part of the process of jumping out with a static line is um, you count to 3,000, yeah? One 1,000, two one thousand, 1,000, look up. Yeah, yep, there's a canopy there and I need to deploy my reserve. But when you first jump out of the plane, for me, I don't know about the other guys, I was like, you know, like, you like stiff aboard. a board. One 1,000, and you look up. And like, oh. oh, thank God. Yeah, and then over time, you start jumping out with your eyes open. It's like, wow, man, this is so cool. Human traits that we all kind of share in and um, and burden us and, and the like at the same time. And that should be the stuff that brings us together. I mm. love that. We're yeah, so deep. Uh, We've learned oh, so much already. <laughs> Don't worry, I get I get teased all the time. Put the bell helmet on. Make sure you're hooked up to the air because we're going deep with Steve. Scoop with Steve.
0: Number 12. Heartland and When Calls the Heart actor, Kevin McGarry. Kevin McGarry has worked so hard to get to where he is, and I thought it was so inspiring.
4: I know some, some actors, you know, that were lucky enough to, like, come right out of theatre school, you know, and get something right away and kind of get their career to take off a little bit. I was not that. I struggled quite a bit until, I'd say, my late 20s. I mean, I was, you know, I might have been 22, 23 when I, when I graduated from uh, theatre school, and I didn't get open hard. Which was my very first like you know series regular mm. until i was i would say twenty nine or something like that, and you know by the time i was twenty five I was working just as an actor, but it, you know it I wasn't like rolling I wasn't like you know sleeping on a pile of money every night. i was yeah. i was sleeping <laughs> on a pile of rags,
0: um, it was so funny <laughs> but, yeah,
4: but I was I was doing a lot of theater at the time. You know, I got into a, uh, like a repertoire theater company, mm-hmm. and I was doing like small little theater gigs, kind of in Toronto. And so I, I was making enough money to kind of just do theater, mm-hmm. by you know, just just act. By the time I was twenty five, but I wasn't. I wasn't able to kind of make a living um, until about twenty nine, about twenty nine thirty, and and you know, I you know kind of, it's so lucky that I did too, because I just had a, I had a stronger perspective of, of kind of work ethic and what it takes and, and just know that, you know, none of this is permanent, you know, it's going to, you know, just because you're, you're kind of working right now that... You know, it will end eventually and you've got to find something else too.
0: As a funny part of our interview, we were talking about doing multiple plays at the same time and whether you ever stuff up and get confused which play you're in. When
4: I was in the um, repertoire theatre company, what that means is like, you know, it, it's, it's a group of actors that do multiple plays. So when we would have audience talks, a lot of people would be like, is, do you ever like find yourself in another play and being like, oh yeah. God, what? It, like saying the wrong line. Um But it's not that you liken it to like, you know, subjects in high school, like you're not going to go into English and just start, you know, reciting your history, history history, because you you know, you know where you are. Yeah. So no, that's not hard. You can always kind of stay ahead of like what you're supposed to do. It's time consuming. You know, you don't have really any downtime because you're back and forth so much.
0: Number 11, Neighbors actor Alan Fletcher, character Dr. Carl Kennedy. So unfortunately, our beloved Aussie show Neighbours has finished and Alan Fletcher was on the show for 27 years. That's a long time. How did he keep it fresh and interesting for himself?
5: Most people would sit there and say, oh, come on, how can you play the same character for 27 years? And the reality is I haven't played the same character for 27 years. And what I mean by that is when I first joined the show, the character was completely different. And I think people are just that way as well. I mean, if you think about, you know, if you look at your own dad or mum or whatever, and you think, uh, yeah, you know, I, I see you as you are now, but you've mm. not always been like that. Not um, well. yeah, when, when, yeah, when people are younger, they're different, they have different attitudes. So, uh, Carl Kennedy has gone through all these different evolutions. He's now kind of a bit stupid, right? Basically, he's a bit, he's a bit of a twit, um, and he's very he's a lot of fun to play now. There's a lot more comedy in the character, um, although we have got some actually really meaty, serious storylines we're shooting at the moment, which are very highly emotional. Um, And as we come up to the end of Neighbours, there's going to be uh, some, everything's ramping up. It's going to be such a huge celebration Mm -hmm. of 37 years of the show that uh, everyone, please stay tuned to the last episodes because they're going to be remarkable.
0: And you've also known as like the I could not believe when I googled this the third longest serving actor in Australian TV serial. How does that make you feel? Is that kind of like a bit of like a, a bit of like winning an award in a way?
5: <laughs> well, you get what it is because you know I've been employed for twenty seven years, going to work every day, and not many actors can say that. Mm. It's a real blessing to be able to practice your craft every day. Uh, so many actors, you know, they 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 they, they do great move, you know, great work. to do movies and TV series, and you see them, and so like, wow, you're really really busy. But the, sometimes people forget that that work on might be spread over a long period of time, like a couple of years, and they may have only worked like six to eight weeks in that entire period. Um, so you know, to keep your skills up as an actor, to be able to work every day is fantastic. You learn more, um, you know. So it, I'm, I'm, I feel blessed. So yeah. It is is right, like winning an award, basically. Yeah. yeah.
0: Believe it or not, too, before Neighbours, Alan Fletcher worked as a photographer.
5: Well, I, I was actually um, a headshot photographer taking portraits for other actors for 20 years here in Melbourne and um, built up a really big business doing it. It was a really mm-hmm. successful business. Um, so, And also, I've done travel photography and I recently actually produced and, and, and uh, was the lead kind of you know, presenter in a show called Photo Number Six, where we traveled the world looking at travel photography and experiences that you try and capture with photography and so forth. That's so cool. photography has always been a, a big passion, which I pursued professionally. And uh, uh, now that, of course, neighbours is finishing, I'll have more time to get back to some of the travelling that I've always loved doing to uh, to, to explore more travel photography. That, that's so cool. Um, <clears throat> I've also, I think I mentioned to you, I have a keen interest in philosophy, so I kept going back to university in gaps <laughs> in acting to study philosophy. That's uh, good. And You I never sort of, stop learning. <laughs> yeah, well, you, no, you don't. You don't. And um, so I still, you know, avidly read uh, read uh, philosophical texts and, and so forth and, and follow that. Um, I don't think I'll ever become a philosopher, but, you know, an amateur philosopher
0: another part of our interview was talking about his lovely wife who he has been married to for 32 years so let's hear about his advice for a successful marriage to finish off his segment
5: yeah it's a communication it's uh, allocating time like right? mm. Jen and I allocate you know at least one date night a week that's you know, cannot be broken, um, and just having time—you know—every day connecting. Plus, of course, she's playing music with me now, which is just brilliant. Aww, so how beautiful. We kind of have a compulsory hour of rehearsal each day to to, <laughs> to link up. So, um, although, yeah, you know, that's always a bit tricky because you know, one of us gets something wrong, the other one goes, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I guess you kind of got to figure out that balance between work and then personal as well.
5: Totally, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, we're very fortunate. Jen, Jen Finishes, she's a, she works for uh, Smooth FM. She's a, a morning newsreader. So she's at home by 10.30. So we have we do have the opportunity to spend a bit of time to, uh, together during the day, which I don't think a lot of couples don't get that. Mm. And after a really hard day's work, it's sometimes hard to reconnect. But So I think we're a little bit blessed like that.
0: Number 10, SWAT actor Peter Anorati. Back to my favourite show, SWAT now. Peter Anorati has been on a lot of shows, like *Mom*, Big Bang Theory, and This Is Us. But when getting his role as Mumford on SWAT, he was so excited, in particular,
6: about the training. They called me and they said, "Um, you have to show up for training. I go, really? Training? I said, (laughs) what do I wear, you know? (laughs) And, and, you know, our technical guy, Otis, uh, um, Odie um, Gallup, uh, we became friends because he was part of Mumford's uh, team whenever you saw Mumford's team Odie was there he's still oh, cool. on the show. and uh, Odie was great at training us and his and you know the other uh, SWAT guy I've forgotten his name um, great guy um, and it was great it was it was you know when you learn something when you learn something like that it's just amazing you know to be able to come in and sweep a room and 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 it's and it is training it's training. Physically, because the postures that you use, the way you approach a room, the slowness, your muscles, it's like, it's like doing yoga or, yeah. or a, a workout. It's yeah. really, when we trained, it was 100 degrees when we were training out in Santa Clarita Valley Ooh. those first couple of weeks. And uh, and it was great. Oh, man, I just, I loved it. And, and uh, I loved knowing that. Because I come from cops. My uncle was the chief of police in my hometown and I have, you know, cousins and and everybody that were detectives, you know, they were all, you know.
0: Since leaving SWAT, Peter Anorati doesn't think the show has really been the same.
6: If you think about it and I don't mean this because I want the (laughs) job, I do want the job, but there is nobody in that cast now with the gravitas that Mumford had that could challenge Hondo. That's he has true. to take orders from Hicks. He had to take orders from Stephanie's character. Everybody else is below him. There's, you know, and it, would, and it gives it gives Shamar another color to have to deal with that. So that's, if it were to continue, That's I would like for it to have continued in the same way and to, to really use that gravitas that Mumford has accumulated in his career to keep poking at, at at Hondo to say, we don't do things that way, man. And, you know, and, and Hondo to point out, well, the way you do things isn't working.
0: Number nine, Hotland actress Jessica Amley. This lovely soul had some beautiful and life-changing things to say in our interview. If
7: you still love it after you fail, you're in the right industry. Oof that gave me goosebumps. That was such a great oh, line.
0: <laughs> I love a good goosebump. We all remember the lovely relationship between Jessica's character Mallory and Jake in Heartland. Well, let's hear about the difficulty behind the kiss and other kisses in the show, like with Graham Wardle. When I was a kid, so I was like, you just have to
7: promise me I don't have to kiss him. And they were like, they were like, yes, yes, like, you won't have to kiss them. And then I think they were, (laughs) yeah, exactly. They were like, ah, she'll be fine in a couple of years. That'll work out. Um, Uh It totally did. Jake to this day is one of my favorite people on the planet. So I got really lucky with that. But the first kiss I I had on Heartland was actually Graham. And that was terrifying. But Graham is like the sweetest human on planet Earth. And he was like, I was like, like I, like, I was like 12 years old and, and Mallory runs up and she kisses Ty. And uh, the grandma's so great about it. He was like, just don't even think about it being me. And like, um, it's just the peck. It's like, if you were to come up and like high five me, like it's nothing. <laughs> don't even think about it. So grandma's just standing there like this, <laughs> like, <find> you. <laughs> like right before. She's like, maybe he was my first kiss. He could have been.
0: Now, speaking of Graham, we had a talk about his departure from the show too.
7: Graham did everything he could yeah. for the show. And I feel like he needs to go back to Graham because what a like crucial time of life to commit yourself to a character, you know, early 20s into mid-30s. Um, I was proud of him. I mean, doing... Me 14 years I think 14 years on a show I mean that's an incredible thing those people don't stay at a job for a year mm-hmm. yeah I thought like, I thought like Graham was amazing how how long he stood with Heartland and I think that's because he does respect his casting crew and he loves the fans and I think that's mm-hmm. like the main thing and so yeah I I, I thought that was like, whoa, oh, I remember just being like, whoa, he genuinely cares. It's just that um, he's now allowed freedom. And he definitely deserves that. So I think he sometimes in life, you have to make decisions that not everyone is gonna like and it's hard to feel like you're letting people down. But everybody has their own life and they're responsible for their own happiness. And that's what Graham did is he took responsibility for his happiness. Not that he wasn't happy doing the show but he needed to be happy not doing the show and he found Mm. that and that's that's incredible yeah i'm yeah very we're proud of graham
8: we are
0: i couldn't have said that better myself jessica sorry thank you very much number eight heartland actor sean johnston can you believe our beloved grandpa jack could have been playing the role of tim fleming so how did he prepare for the role of an older man Sean is dedicated. Have a listen.
6: I thought I was a pretty good Tim when I went in for the audition. I thought, now nah, I'm going to be a good Tim. <laughs> I worked on my voice, and uh, my voice naturally has a little bit higher timber, I think, than Jack in the show. I think Jack in the show is a little bit more, you know, kind of rooted and grounded in his voice, right? Looked into the background of the character, and he was an old, broken-down rodeo pro. Um, So I thought it would be a good idea maybe to give him just a little bit of a giddy-up in his walk. You know, just a little bit of a boom on one side. Little bit, little bit. Not too much, but enough to uh, look like there's a life lived in that body.
0: Number seven, Latin dancer Tanya Kensinger also known as La Alemana. I know if you aren't in the Latin scene, you may not know about Tanya. Check her out though. She's an incredible dancer. Type in La Alemana into Google. A-L-E-M-A-N-A. She was an incredible interview because we spoke about the hard work involved in becoming a success and investing in yourself, how constant travel can take a toll on your body, about body image and loving yourself as a woman, and also about how she nearly wouldn't have been here today. Let's first hear about paying and investing in yourself.
9: You know, we we knew you had to put the work in and you had to invest in yourself. So we were like, all right, we wanna to go to this event. We wanna be known, we wanna be hired in the future. So we're gonna have to pay this airfare. We're gonna have to pay for the hotel. Or, you know, sometimes we got the hotel comp. We were there to work. We didn't get paid for the work. Mm-hmm. Um but it was okay because we were investing and in the beginning, you know, obviously it paid
0: off. Now let's hear about how Tanya and her partner, George used to travel every weekend and the toll it took.
9: Very hard. Um, I would say for the, for about 10 years from about 2011 until well, 2010 till about 2020, right before COVID, um, we were traveling almost every weekend.
3: We wow. would be home
9: maybe two or three days out of the week. So like we would get home Monday, be home Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we would leave again by Thursday because a lot of our work was in Europe. And in the beginning we were doing tours. And for myself, um, although it was nice in the beginning, I missed home. I missed my bed. Like it's just, it's different. It's a different feeling being in a hotel in a place that you don't speak the language and the food's different. Like it just really. And time zones. Yeah. Everything. So it was, it was definitely difficult. And I know for myself, it's funny, I was having a conversation with somebody today about it, that it seems like the the men in, um, in our community seem to be able to do this a lot longer and are like, just like, they're like this. Mm. Whereas the women in our community are like, Oh, my God, I'm so tired. This is so exhausting. And, you know, it, it affects us a, a lot more, I feel like, and I do know that during that time, like, right towards the, not the end, but went before we started slowing down i know that mentally it affected me
0: believe it or not even this beautiful woman still gets hateful comments on the internet especially about her body people
9: thought i was pregnant for like six years so i was pregnant for like six years apparently
0: but Um, always pregnant babies
9: (laughs) yeah that's what it is but um no it definitely got to me in the beginning and then finally you know just having a good support system you know with like george and rudy they're like don't don't worry about it like you look great do you feel happy do you feel good yeah okay that's all that matters and after a while i think as i got older and just like focused more on me i was like you know what everybody that's your opinion. And that's fine. And mm-hmm. yes, do I wish they wouldn't make those comments. Yeah, but you know, whatever, if that's helping you throughout the day, which I doubt it does making a negative comment that serves no one, but it is what it is. And I, I, I've I, learned to ignore them, because really, it has nothing to do with me. It's more whatever that person is dealing with. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's sad to see that I do get, you know, those types of comments, from women, you know, you would expect it maybe from from men more than anything, but yeah. it's, it's you know, fellow women that would say things like that. And I'm like, all right, well, clearly there's an insecurity there or a jealousy there, whatever it might be. And it has really nothing to do with me and I'm happy and I love myself. So there, you know, I'll just
0: let them deal with it. So. If you're struggling mentally yourself or have suicidal thoughts, Tanya has been there before too please seek help and talk to someone you can call lifeline on 13 11 14 in Australia.
9: Do whoever, if
0: you're out there and you're struggling, take that
9: first step, talk to someone. Um, and you know, life gets better. Yeah. Taking that way out. I understand why, but you can miss out of so many amazing
0: things that would come after that. Number six, True Blood actor, Michael McMillian. True Blood, what a huge phenomenon. And Michael got to be a part of it.
10: I mean, that was such a cool experience. I met so many amazing people on that show, incredibly talented people, made lifelong friends. And that's by far, Steve Newland is by far my favorite character that I've ever gotten to play. It was awesome. It was a rare situation where I felt like it was a character that I immediately understood, immediately knew how to bring my sense of humor to it, and and it was it was a it was a cool experience of playing a character long term, where the longer I played it, the more my own personality informed where the character went and what the writers did with it. So, and it was just cool. He had he, I feel like he had a real arc, you know, starting as this anti-vampire you know minister pastor reverend and then to ultimately if you haven't seen the show i won't spoil but ultimately where that character goes is a real arc and so i got to play and continue to experience and dig deep into like what makes this sort of cartoonish guy tick you know and it was just a wild show there were times when you would get the script and you're like OK, so in this episode, we're going to go hunt fairies. OK, great. <laughs> like, what other no. <laughs> and what? Yeah, what were what other world, you know, in fantasy at the time hadn't really taken off the way that it has now. Think, have been part thanks to True Blood and and then Game of Thrones. So there wasn't a lot like it on on TV to compare it to at the time. I remember at the time people were like, it's like Buffy, but with sex, you know, but there was there wasn't all this other stuff in there yet. There wasn't weren't all these other cable and streamer shows that were doing similar stuff. I never watched. I mean, I watched the show, but I never experienced. I didn't experience the show the way that everybody else who wasn't making it experienced it. You know, mm. so it's sort of like being on the inside of something that a lot of people are watching was was very new to me and very wild. And you. i could see a real difference between that and other things that i'd worked on just by the amount of people who came up to me and was like steve newland you know you're like oh wow everyone is watching this show it's crazy
0: and you'll still get it for a while i think
10: yeah i think so yeah for sure yeah it must be different for you
0: when you rewatch it though because you already kind of know what's coming up
10: yeah, I actually haven't gone back. I've, I've been tempted to because it's been a while and Deborah Ann Wall and Kristen Bauer are doing a True Blood podcast where they're like going back and doing every episode of the series. And oh, cool. I think that'd be a really fun way to rewatch it. Mm. And it's been long enough too that I've forgotten some stuff. Like I remember the big beats, but I know there's going to be things where like, That's the oh, weird I'm thing about, 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 about being in this business. Yeah, I mean if I went back and watched what I like about you now, it, it would be so strange because there would be things that I'd be like I don't even remember the doing this, <laughs> yeah. you know, but like I spent a week doing this episode and now I I I remember certain parts of it, but I'm there there would be so weird to go back and be like watching a home movie and being like Oh, I don't remember this day happening, but yeah, try here it is. to remember childhood.
0: Even though Michael McMillian was a part of a huge show like True Blood, it doesn't mean it was easy. He worked his butt off to make it happen and was even at a crossroads in his life early on, figuring out whether to go to LA
10: or New York. There was this thing that happened where I very quickly was like, okay, I'm not... Because sometimes it... it Carnegie they kind of want to show off the prestige of classical theater and they're like you should do a Shakespeare piece or you should do this this, you know something from Pygmalion and I'm like I'm not doing any of that I'm going to write my own stuff I wrote I wrote a co-wrote a sketch with a friend and then I adapted a monologue from a book that I really liked that was popular at the time a heartbreaking work of staggering genius by Dave Eggers and there's a chapter in there where he's talking about auditioning for and pitching himself in the first person as a cast member on The Real World, one of the early seasons uh, in San Francisco. And so I took that piece from that book and modified it, adapted, modified it. So when I came out for my monologue at, at the showcase, I was speaking directly to casting agents and and talent agents being like look i'm the guy from the midwest i can do this i can play this blah 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 blah. and i would literally hand out my headshots and it was a bit that really worked and i think it was sort of a thing that like you know it got laughs and it got me a ton of meetings and out of that process i ended up getting an agent and uh, i'm still with the same agency And I got, you know, they started sending me out for TV guest stars right away. And I suddenly went, well, why would I go to New York where, and I had opportunities in New York as well. But I was like, I could go to New York where the rent is more expensive. This is in 2002. Things have changed here in L.A. But I was like, I could go to New York and then like get a a job bartending or waiting tables and then maybe get an off-Broadway play that won't pay any bills or i could go to la where i've already got auditions lined up for me get one of these guest stars and be able to pay my my rent for two months you know what i mean so it's like this seems more seems like there's a little bit more momentum over here uh let me let me go to la and try it out and so that's that's what happened
0: Number five, actress Kelly Stables, who has been Samara in The Ring 2, Melissa in Two and a Half Men, and Kelly in Superstore.
11: He goes, do you mind? We kind of just kept calling her Kelly. Do you mind if we use your name, Kelly, even though that's your real name for this character? I was like, sure, no problem. (laughs) But like, it was fine, except for that episode where they're all like, hi, I'm Kelly. (laughs) Hi, I'm Kelly like, oh my gosh, all right, this is weird. Hey, it's me, Kelly. Boy, it sure is windy out today. Whoa. I don't sound like that. Yeah, it's a little bit more squeaky, like, hey, everybody, I'm Kelly. No,
4: it's more like,
12: hey, everybody, I'm Kelly.
11: Well, you know what's funny is, I, especially in television comedy, talk about having thick skin. I think you have to be able, you have to be okay with people like, poking poking fun at you a little bit. Like, even though I'm playing a character, I'm still in my own skin, Hmm. you know? And so I'm not going to get offended if, you know, they're going to make, like, jokes about my height or my voice. It's all, you know, it's all... If I can't laugh at it, then the audience can't.
0: Let's now hear about Kelly Stable's transformation into Samara for The Ring. That's a lot of makeup.
11: It was five and a half hours of me in the makeup... Care of them just do, was putting putting together that character oh and, um, and everything that was there were many layers they would like paint my skin and then put a prosthetic over it and then texture it and then paint that and put my hair up in a wig and then put on you know there was like I think like three or four different different wigs for different situations in that movie
0: wow. expensive
11: wigs like $15,000 wigs and because the hair was a big part yeah, of it, Even though hair. you were just
0: like, it just looked like it was all over the place.
11: <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, when they were doing that close-up of like that one eye, I mean, I had to hold still and they pieced like very specifically like what part they wanted showing. The hair
0: shown. Oh my goodness. Yeah.
11: I would see myself in a mirror as they were doing it. But then once then I was just walking around. I still felt like me. But to everyone else, they saw this like horrific, like hard to look at person. So... What I found so interesting was how I got treated and how I noticed people looking at me differently than I did just walking around as me. I could tell that they almost didn't want to look at me. And I thought, oh my, that is, that's an interesting observation that I'm feeling right now. I could tell that people were kind of, you know, they didn't want to look like they were staring. And I don't know, maybe gave me some empathy, empathy and just an idea of how, like if someone who doesn't look traditionally normal, whatever mm-hmm. they believe that means, how they might, and, and that's just how they are other every day, you know, how that might affect them. And, and it was an interesting, interesting study of people.
0: Movies and TV shows aside, Kelly finished the show off with a fantastic answer to our question. What would you tell your 14 year old self?
11: I just think a lot of my thoughts were filled with maybe what other people thought of me and, mm you know, how is, does so-and-so like me? You know, am I popular? It's all about what other people thought of me. And I would, I would encourage myself to try not to think about that and instead replace it with, um, a positive, a positive thought about myself and a positive thought for someone else and not be so concerned about, um, other people's opinions or my own insecurities, but instead, um, Just try to, to know that I'm going to be, try to be the best that I can be. And that's enough. That's, that's really enough. It's all of us are enough just as we are,
0: just as we're made. Number four, Cheaper by the Dozen actors, Brent and Shane Kinsman. We all remember them as the small redheaded twins, Kyle and Nigel Baker in Cheaper by the Dozen one and two. But guess what? They are all grown up now and have graduated college.
1: When we took our break at, at 12 years old, like Brent was saying, then we just got to go play baseball, you know, and football and go to middle school and, and just kind of grow up.
0: It's as funny as it sounds, you'd say you retired at 12. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that would have been pretty much.
1: Say that. <laughs> retired at 12, peaked at eight. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, <laughs> It's all, downhill, <laughs> you know, <from> <laughs> it's all downhill from here.
0: It's all downhill from here, right. Brent and Shane hope to eventually achieve their dream of being in a superhero movie of some sort too. I really mm-hmm. hope to see something, in, you know, for you guys in the Marvel space or something like that. Hey. Who knows? Twin superheroes well, or maybe even, like, twin villains. I could see that. I was going to
1: say, or, like, good and evil. There's so much. That's, There's so yeah. much they can do with that.
0: Exactly. I'm what surprised have you got to they haven't the done
1: it way way I'm just surprised they haven't done it already. I mean, they played with, you know, Star Wars has, like, Luke and Leia they're fraternal twins and they've you know they've done some things but uh the dichotomy between identical twins could be played with you know two good two evil one evil one good uh it's just visually I think it's a good opportunity so we'll see we'll see
0: well even you look at like the new Doctor Strange movie like that there's no twins in that but it's just the same actor playing you know the other character of themselves Mm -hmm. sort of thing so yeah why do that and do double the takes when you got the two people right there?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or they could just use both of us for one guy.
0: Exactly. You know, Save they the money. I, I, cut the cost. It's right cut. there for them. Come on, Set Disney. Right. <laughs> cut the cost
1: in half. Yeah, because Disney's worried about cost, for yeah, sure. Totally. Yeah,
0: totally. Yeah. Number three. The technical advisor of the TV show SWAT, Odie Gallup. Odie worked for the San Diego Police Department for about 28 years. And in that time, he was a part of the real SWAT. So he has a lot to say and help with on set of the show to make it realistic. You need to make sure they're doing everything specifically. Oh, I do.
13: Yes, I do. I jump on them. There's guy I do. I get them in huddles. And, uh, you know, I've told them before that it doesn't matter to me who you are. I want you to do it. And I, have you know, I've yelled at them a few times. Uh, that's what I told them the first day when they come in. they came into the warehouse and and we went through rep after rep after rep repetition 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 and i remember that first day and they were getting it down and, and they just wanted to work hard and they were they were like sponges they just they just soaked it all up and the last the last repetition of the day that i had them do was there was going to be a meeting in that room at the end of the day with the director Producer, some people from CBS and Sony, from what I remember, and so I put them on the spot. And all these people, you know, high level people from t- from the show were coming in, and I said, "Okay, guys, we're going to do it one more time." Uh, and these guys sat down; they were getting ready for their meeting, and they watched us do the do the repetition. And I think they were kind of impressed at what we had accomplished in the few hours that we were all together. So.
0: Even Offset, Odie likes to build the friendships between all the cast members for their on-screen teamwork. Have a listen.
13: You know, we've all become friends and we all talk, we all text uh you know david and myself and lena Esco went to a bellator you know mma type fight like about a year and a half ago and we just we have a good time together and i think that's my whole thing is building the camaraderie as a team and when you build a camaraderie as a team and you talk to people hang out with people do things with people that's what bonds you as a team and i think that shows on the show when they get to do things together they're not just Oh, okay. Well, we're done with the scene. I don't need to talk to you anymore. I don't want to talk to you anymore. I'm leaving. And I think that shows. In other shows, you can tell when that happens. And um, I think on our show, like I said, it. it uh, I'm not saying we don't have our disagreements now and then, but um, but we have a good time and we're all really close. And I think that's what makes it look really good.
0: Number two, Hotland and Hallmark Channels, Cindy Busby. Oh, my dear Cindy. Her and I become friends now and I love having a big girl chat whenever she is on our show. She is one of the loveliest and most down to earth and also fun and easy to talk to ladies I've ever met. We spoke about Heartland, of course, as well as being on the pilot episode of Vampire Diaries. Let's first hear a little bit about Heartland, though, after
12: so many years on. You no, know, the last couple years specifically you know, people have spent more time at home and stuff. And some new people have discovered Heartland. And I hear from people all over the world telling me like, I just discovered this show. Like, it's so good. You're so great in it. You're my favorite part. Or like, gosh, I miss you on the show or, and that's like, I mean, what a great feeling to have, like to know that you've Mm -hmm. touched people's heart, like hearts and lives 10 years, 12 years after even having shot the show, like...
0: Now, Vampire Diaries. I gotta say, she is the best screamer on screen I've ever seen. Her acting was so realistic. What was that like, you
12: may be asking?
0: Mm.
12: But yeah, it was cool, you know, to, to be the opening scene of what would then lead to one of the most successful CW shows, like, ever, is... You know, when I think about it once in a while, you know, and I think about my life, I'm like, that is, is a really cool thing. Um, it's you know, all because and I, of
0: you. It's a success.
12: <laughs> right. Yeah, No, absolutely. Thank you for acknowledging it. Finally, <laughs> someone gets it. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. You find yourself sometimes in like specific genres that you do a lot more of. But I love suspense. I love um I don't want to say Vampire Diaries is horror, but it's got like a kind of horror, a PG thirteen horror aspect a little to bit it. Scary parts. Yeah, totally. And um, yeah, I loved it. I thought it was so fun. I'm obsessed with vampires, like just in general. So for me, <laughs> what a dream come true, right? And except like next up, I gotta, I gotta play a vampire. That's next up on my list. But um, I say that? Yeah, right. Oh. Uh, um, but yeah, it was super cool, and and I got to actually be. Like on a harness where I was like pulled up into the sky when, um, when the vampire pulls me up and and it was cool. It was two. It was um, that scene took two nights where we worked from like seven p.m. to like seven a.m. kind of thing. So it wow. was really long nights. Um, the thing about pilots too is that they really want to get them right because they have a lot riding on it. Mm. So I think with this pilot, they knew that it was likely going to be a success so they wanted to do it right and uh yeah it was such a blast and i yeah it's it's definitely one of the highlights um the things that i've done absolutely
0: even though cindy gets some amazing roles now it wasn't always like that she worked hard to get to where she is and she totally
12: understands why people trying to be an actor sometimes quit and i understand why people would quit or or give up or, you know, move on to something else because it is really something that really pulls at your heartstrings. It's a testament to like pure surrender that mm. everything is completely out of your control. And then you're just doing it for fun, which, you know, going back to the kid thing, like that's really why most of us get into acting is, is not to be famous or not to make, you know, billions of dollars, but really just to, to tell stories and to play. And sometimes when the bizma- business aspect of acting comes into play, we kind of forget that side. Mm-hmm. It's not easy, but the biggest thing I say is don't focus on your career as much as focus on yourself because the career will come if you take time to focus on you. Number
0: one, actor, singer, and dancer Oba Baba Tunde. Known for playing Daniel Harrelson Sr. in SWAT, from being on Friends, Bold and the Beautiful, Dear White People, as well as from the original Broadway cast of Dreamgirls. I obviously know Uber from SWAT, one of my favorite shows, and I love him even more now from being on Rave It Up. He is so high on my list of top interviews. He shared so many amazing stories, we had fun, and I was mesmerized by his wonderful energy and just passion for life. That is why I've left him to the end of this episode. After being on SWAT for many years now, what would he like to see happen for his character? Let's find out.
8: To see them maybe touch upon uh, Pop's musical background so I could get a chance to perform on this show. <laughs>
0: Just sneak that in. Oh, but yeah, by the way, Pop sings and he dances.
8: <laughs> right. Yeah, that would be great. You know, you know, I've decided to to get back on the stage and and all of a sudden the place gets held up and they yeah. gotta come and rescue me. That son. would
0: be amazing. I that would be a top episode, I think. Really? Yeah, and I tell him I said I
8: can't it. believe it. Right when I was getting ready to do my big number, this fool wants to start shooting. <laughs>
0: Now, as Uber's last snippet of his segment, let's finish up with some great life advice.
8: There is two things you cannot do with a closed hand and a closed heart. You cannot give, nor can you receive. Mm. So open your hand and open your heart and watch what happens. I want to be the pebble that's thrown into a still body of water. And what happens, it makes the smallest sound going in and the tiniest ripple. But what happens to that ripple? It goes and goes. And it doesn't just go in one direction, does it? It goes in every direction. And even if it should come to an obstacle along the way, it, it will go along an obstacle until it comes to an opening, and then it will continue. So everything that you do, nothing is wasted. And it will always have a rippled effect, and it will come to shore. Now, the key is, that's good or bad. So be mindful.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this fantastic, chock-a-block, fun episode going down memory lane with me and some of my favorite guests. Now, I want to finish the show off today with, I know this might sound strange, but with a really cool Rave It Up beatbox. Back in October last year, I interviewed an incredible Australian beatboxer and vocal DJ, Voltak, and he created an exclusive beatbox for us all about Rave It Up. How cool is that? I'll leave you with it. But before I do, I just want to say a huge, huge, huge thank you to you, my listeners, for continuing to support Rave It Up and sharing our interviews with your friends. You've really kept us going and have made my dreams come true. I get to do what I love for a living every day because of you. So thank you. And I also want to finish off with a quick shout out to our Patreons, Irene, Bev, and Michael, as well as all the amazing guests that we have had on this show for over the last 12 years, not just the podcast, but also our radio show. A lot of them have obviously become great friends of mine now and always love coming on the show. But I want to say thank you to the guests that took a chance on coming on a not so well known show in the beginning. And even to the guests that say yes now. They come and have a chat to me without knowing anything about the show and end up obviously sticking around. But it means the world to me. So thank you to all of the guests that I've had a privilege of interviewing. Now take it away, Voltac.
6: You're now listening to Rave It Up. <laughs>
4: Let's break it off. <laughs>
0: If you want to be the first to get every new episode remember to subscribe to this podcast for free just search for rave it up on apple podcasts and spotify and share it with your friends